Welcome one, welcome all. It is a brand new episode of Brody Sports Talk. In fact, it is season five, episode 24. My name is Caleb Walgren. I am the founder and the host of this podcast. And I am joined by my wonderful co-host who uh, uh, I think it looks like he is on something like he might be riding something uh are you trying to get me to join you are you saying let's ride oh oh okay oh well that's just sad uh it's derek rusnick derek how are you doing broncos country let's ride uh so my uh, my mother once told me that i have a face for radio so that's why i'm here today is uh just because of that uh hello everyone i hope that you are doing well in your cubicles in your car or riding the subway i see you 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 go you uh and caleb let's do this thing absolutely so we're going to jump in. We have our typical setup today with our spotlights, go to the week, stock watch, Thursday night football preview, and then, of course, the Brody bets, saving the best for last. So, uh, Derek, what is your spotlight of the week? Yeah, so uh, everyone wants to change the rules. When I say everyone, uh, mostly the other 31 teams in the uh uh, in the National Football League, everyone wants to change the rules for things they don't like, a.k.a. the brotherly shove. But I want to change the rules on reviewing penalties. So there was some rather egregious calls this last weekend. I will use the Colts-Browns as an example. Um, this is not the only thing that should be uh, reviewable, but... It's a. It's going to use this as an example. Uh, Browns are marching down. They uh, have a. They are down by five, and uh, they get to around the twenty yard line. Uh, they run a pass play. The receiver bumps into, runs through the defender. The defender falls down. Uh, the there's a flag that's thrown. Illegal touching by the defense. Okay, well, got first down uh, at around the 10 area. Then uh, they run another pass play. The Browns do in the end zone. uh, P.J. Walker throws it over the head of his receiver. Uh, There was some some hand fighting between the receiver and the defender, but clearly thrown away. The ball was clearly thrown away over the head, uncatchable. Flag thrown. Uh, pass interference, and so first down at the one-yard line. Three plays later, after run, run, and run, they the Browns finally get into the end zone. They had five plays within the 10-yard the line, within the, the, the last 10 yards before the end zone to win the game, and this was in the last minute of the game. I want those plays to be reviewed. I want to have referees that are like, I I want like a sky judge like they have in the XFL. I want someone with a lot more authority and a lot more experience to be making those calls. Hey, we threw the flag. We we reviewed it. 
uh, yes, we're going to uphold that that is a uh, past interference call. So everyone says, okay, well, if we do this, it's going to slow down the game. Everyone's going to, uh, you know, throw a challenge flag every time there's a penalty. I'm not talking about the normal everyday, like holding. Holding happens on every single play. You just try to get away with it as best you can as a lineman. But the penalties that happen that change the outlook of the game. Is the ball catchable? Is the, um, you know, did we, we, we review things like did someone catch the ball? Did they get both feet down? Stuff like that. We need to be able to throw a challenge flag and say, hey, that's not pass interference and have them review it. I also think that uh, those penalty challenges shouldn't be the same thing as challenging a play. And I think you should be able to challenge a flag without having timeouts in your back pocket. Yeah, the, the, there's, the, that would slow down the game by probably four or five minutes. And, oh, you're going to get an, an additional uh, timeout if you do that. You know, they're going to they're gonna game the system. Okay, the NFL is looking to put more advertising out there anyways. They want to go to commercial break. So let's just give them an, an additional couple of minutes. Let's put somebody into the uh, into every stadium. I mean, there's 32 teams. You can only have 16 games if everyone's playing. So let's have 16 different uh, guys at the stadium who are head of officials or whatever, or who have some understanding of this, or just have like a thing in, in New York. That's where their home office is. Hey, we, we need this display reviewed where we, you know, in, in real time, let's do something because these penalties are destroying the game and not just destroying the game, but the, with the more money that comes in through gambling on the NFL and all of these companies are uh, embracing it, more money into their their league with FanDuel, with DraftKings, stuff like that, with, with official partnerships. There's going to be a lot of things that flip back and forth because of penalties, and we have to get them right. Caleb, you, you any thoughts about reviewing penalties? So I thought that in general, a few years ago, the NFL was starting to go in the right way when they were like, yes, we need to review penalties. It was after that uh, playoff game where uh, I believe it was the Saints player totally took out a Rams player on the sideline, or no, it was vice versa. The Saints player was going down the sideline back in the Breeze era, and he just got obliterated, and there was no call. The refs totally botched it. I do think that the twofold change would be best. Have a a booth ref. I don't know, care what you want to call it. Let someone who has access to all of the TV cameras be able to be in the headset with the referees. Fantastic. I think they should be at all the stadiums just like any other ref that's traveling. I think it makes sense. If you're going to be sitting there and reviewing things, I don't want someone who's trying to follow the 10 noon Sunday games in New York doing this. I want someone who's trying to just keep an eye on individual things for that play. If it's, Hey, uh, we need to double check and see if that guy's feet are in. 
just do a quick official timeout for me. Okay, that's fine. Let them do a quick replay. If it needs to be someone who can uh, have access to, like, if they want to call it a, a specific code, fine. Like, we have the red challenge flag. Maybe we make all of this stuff uh, in honor of Derek. We're, we're going to make it orange. Uh, <laughs> we have we have an orange penalty review flag. Uh, we have the person in the booth calls a code orange, and uh, that means he's reviewing the play. Uh, maybe put like a little light on top of the uh, first down marker that turns orange, so that everyone's like, "Oh wait, we can't do anything yet," and the umpire stands over the ball until the code orange is resolved between him and the head referee. Fine. Does it potentially give a little bit more time? Absolutely. I don't know that I care. Um, I even heard something the other day uh, because uh, Derek, I don't know if, if you heard about it, but they were, was controversy in the, the Ram Steelers game late in the game when Kenny Pickett was picking up a late fourth down run. And they said he, a lot of people said that he looked short, but the Rams were out of timeouts because they had already called them all trying to stop it before the two minute warning. Despite the fact that he was short, like kind of like you said, if it's a penalty or a challenge, I think there should be able to be a bonus way to do that without a review. And I even heard them say, make it a, a personal foul. Yeah, do something if you want them to not be able to just challenge it if it's completely egregious or uh, just stopping the clock. Clearly, we don't want that. But I, the things have to be called right. The refereeing is being done so poorly. And we just want to see the right teams win. And we don't want to be talking about the refs on Tuesdays, like it's, it's been a long time since I feel like I've showed up talking about the refs as much as it's been this year. They're not doing great. And we just want to find ways to improve. The NFL tried it. I think it needs to come back. I think you're right, Derek. So where is your spotlight this week? So my spotlight is going to a bit of an interesting stat that I just want to make sure gets a little bit more attention this week. And that is, of course, time of possession. I have two games in mind, uh, one from the NFL and one from college, where the time of possession was really dominated by one team and how it really ended up swinging that game. So the first one, I'll start with the NFL one because it's probably a little bit more obvious. For those of you who stayed up, caught the Sunday night football game between the Eagles and the Dolphins, it was not really that close of a contest. The Eagles held the ball for 37 minutes compared to 23 for the Dolphins. And that extra 14 minutes just kept the Dolphins from being able to run extra plays, kept them from getting in an offensive rhythm between Tua Tagovailoa and Tyreek Hill, despite the fact that the box score says Tyreek Hill had a great day. It's just one of those things where the Dolphins ran 48 total plays and the Eagles ran 68 total plays. So if you want to sit here and say, well, 
what's the recipe for being able to control the ball and get time of possession? Here's a few things. Run the ball. The Eagles had 34 rushing attempts. Did they get a ton of rushing yards? Not really. They averaged 2.9 yards per carry. Granted, some of those are the aforementioned brotherly shove that Derek was talking about. And while you can hate it all you want, while the Eagles were 4 of 12 on third down, which made them about 33% at that, they were 4 of 4 on fourth down, which made them 100% at that. So that means the Eagles basically were only stopped four times. Uh, They did actually lose the turnover battle to the Dolphins. But when you're grinding the other team, keeping them on the field, wearing out that defense, so many good things happen in your favor. Derek, do you do you know which college game I'm actually going to call out here, or are you ready to be surprised? I want to be surprised. I, I am, am racking my brain the last couple of minutes, and I can't quite put my finger on it. So I was double-checking scores, and looking through this past week and there was a major upset in the top 10 where the university of Virginia, who was one in five coming into the ACC contest against Drake may and the North Carolina Tar Heels also won the time of possession in about the same rate, 37 minutes to 22 minutes. And in this one, I found it to be very interesting because Virginia and North Carolina had the same amount of first downs. North Carolina actually had more total yards in this game. But with Virginia winning the penalty or that time of possession, even though they lost the turnover battle, they just were finding ways to get it done. I I loved when I looked at the box score, they had a total of 54 carries in this game, Virginia did, for 228 rushing yards. Now, between all of that, they did spread out the load pretty well. So you didn't know who was going to run. You had Paris Jones with 14 carries for 67 yards. Mike Hollins for 15 carries for 66 yards. He also had three touchdowns. Uh, Tony Musket, the quarterback had 12 carries for 66 yards. And then there was another running back, Kobe Pace, who had 11 carries for 30 yards. Look, if you're going to have more than four people get 10 carries each, you're going to have a great job of being able to keep that time of possession. And because you're running and running the clock and running the clock, were they dominating the run? Their average rush was 4.2 yards. Um, You know, Musket technically had the best yards at five and a half yards a carry, but it was that slow, deliberate, um, I would almost call it uh, win by giving the other team a thousand paper cuts. Like you literally are just draining the energy out of the other team. And let's face it, for the most part, a lot of teams in the NFL need to consider more ways to do this. You're not going to keep up with Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs offense. So what do you need to do? Run the dang ball and keep them off the field. That's what, I mean, we all know Mike McDaniel's offense is built off speed. So what did the Eagles do? One, they have a great pass rush. So they did disrupt some timing, but they also said, we're going to run the ball 
with Swift and with Hertz and occasionally with Kenny Gainwell, and we're not going to let you find a way to do this. You just pound the rock, keep the ball, and it's so underrated in today's NFL and even in college football. We like seeing those high-flying offenses. We like seeing the high-scoring games. Sometimes it's a little bit more of a chess match. And that's why we sit here and we watch the games. We don't know what's going to happen. But I think time of possession, still an underrated stat. Uh, Derek, any any thoughts on this before we go to the wide world of sports? Yeah, so anyone who knows me knows I love the offensive and defensive lines. Uh, run the dang ball is uh, is what I believe in, and that is certainly time of possession related that it helps with it. Um, so for me, you're exactly correct. 110%. I I am on that bandwagon. I am sitting up there right in the in the pilot seat with you, uh, feeding you beef jerky, because uh, I I am jumping on that bandwagon wholeheartedly um yeah so that's exactly what it comes down to it keep the other team off of the field um do you know that if you do not go three and out that you ha- it, it's around 35 percent uh and don't quote me on the exact number it's between 30 and 40 um, but they're around 30 35 percent better chance of a sack in um in the nfl than if and that's just one extra one extra set of downs so if you go out there your defense gets off the field you uh your offense goes out there and you run at least five plays which is probably about two or three extra minutes for the defense to rest that it's like a 35 percent uh chance a higher percentage that your defense will get enough rest that they can rush and uh, have a better chance at sacking tackle for loss, you know, getting somebody in the, in the backfield. So yeah, I a hundred percent agree with you that time of possession is underrated. Absolutely. Well, let's go ahead. Let's leave the sports field for a moment and let's go over to the volleyball court, because I want to go ahead and give a quick shout out to one of the best contests that happened this weekend. Some people were dubbing it the match of the century between the number one Wisconsin Badgers and the number two Nebraska Cornhuskers. They were playing Saturday night on Big Ten Network in a really good game uh, as Nebraska was able to take the first set 25-22. Wisconsin followed up by taking the next two sets, 25-17 and then 25-20. Now, for those of you who are not familiar, you do play these sets to 25. You have to win by two. And in the fifth set, you just play to 15. In general, it's already been reported that this is the largest or most watched regular season volleyball broadcast across any network all time. As even though this was on the Big Ten network, which I don't think is the most common network across the leagues. Uh, It had 612,000 viewers. Um, I know it also said that when we played in the football stadium earlier this year, Derek, Nebraska's match for that game had 518,000 viewers. So about up 100,000. And I just wanted to go ahead and 
give a couple of shout outs in this game because it was a very intense contest and it's it's worth calling out a little bit more attention because during this Nebraska was down 21-18 in the fourth set and they ended up being able to tie it up at 21 went back down 23-21 tied it up at 23 and Nebraska took that set 26 to 24 Wisconsin did have a match point during that set. So very thrilling, very high-end volleyball being played. And then during the final set, Nebraska was down two points for a lot of it. They switched sides when Nebraska was down 8-6. They were then down 9-7, 10-8, 11-9, and 12-10. Then Nebraska, you could call it luck, you can call it talent, but they went on a run. They went up 14 to 12 and ended up winning that final set 15 to 13. Derek, I know that it is difficult to truly get across how good quality volleyball is to people just by talking about the points. But I think knowing that the rallies were good, the competition was good. Both of these teams have been epically strong teams. It's exciting. It's exciting to see what's happening, and I'm going to just keep promoting the fact that I think volleyball, I I can't sit here and say I think it's the second most popular women's sport in the U.S., because I think that that would be basketball and then currently softball, but I think that it's a a quick third, uh, or it's moving up there. Soccer is probably also high. I know women's soccer is pretty high, but I... I, I love what these people are doing in volleyball and how it just keeps growing in fandom year over year. Uh, any thoughts about that, Derek, or uh, anything you're trying to double check? Yeah, so I absolutely love that on a weekly basis, or well, almost weekly basis, we are talking about uh, another women's sport that has broken a record or has like high attendance or is really shining a light on the uh, on the world of women's sports um the wnba just had their uh championship this uh during this last week las vegas aces um won their back-to-back champion whether it's their second championship in a row congrats to them but i love when uh i see volleyball is as is becoming a huge sport um and the fact that we have such great attendance for amazing schools. I mean, Wisconsin and Nebraska are great uh, volleyball schools. Uh, Nebraska especially. I mean, I've watched a lot more of their uh, matches than than I have other ones. But it uh, it, it really does warm my heart that we are seeing not a shift, but an expansion of the attention of sports fans. It's It's just great. Absolutely. Well, um, Derek, while we're writing these positive vibes, uh, I'm going to go ahead and let you go first. Who is your goat of the week? Yeah. So for me, I, uh, I am trying to go with the, the positive goats, uh, for a couple of weeks. And so I'm just going to reach out there to my goat of Lamar Jackson. So, um, Lamar Jackson has been in the league a couple of years, already won an MVP, does a great job. 
with the offense that he has. And for the last couple of years, you see him run around the field, making plays with his legs. But what a lot of defenses are saying are, uh, they're they're saying we have to make him pass. He's not a good passer. We can we can stop this offense by slowing him down that way. Well, just a couple of stats for you. Uh, he went twenty one for twenty seven, three hundred and fifty seven yards, three touchdowns through the air this last week. Uh, just a great performance. Uh, nine rushes for 36 yards and a touchdown um, using the play action to get into the end zone. Um, the, the He has the defenses scared about, okay, how do we stop him? How do we, because if we don't, if we load up the box, he's, gonna, he's going to pass it over our heads. If we play against his... Uh, his passing ability, he's going to run the ball on us, and he's going to pick up seven yards at a time. Lamar Jackson is an enigma that you have to figure out. He's a riddle that not even the best code breakers can figure out. I can't wait to see what the rest of the season holds for the Ravens and for Lamar Jackson in particular. I like it. I like what you're talking about. Lamar had a fantastic week. Uh, and while you're going ahead and keeping the the good vibes here, Derek, I'm going to go ahead and uh, bring bring some negativity this time because uh, I feel like I've been fairly positive on this point. But, you know, coaching staffs, they're trying to bring in people they're familiar with. They're trying to get backups that they feel like they can trust. And Josh McDaniel said, you know what? I need to bring in Brian Hoyer because I need to have someone who can come in, back up Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, be someone who uh, potentially you might even say would be non-threatening in the locker room with uh, Jimmy G because, you know, he already had to deal with Trey Lance backing him up and then Brock Purdy running things over last year. And, you know, when you're able to bring in Brian Hoyer and it wasn't, you know, a, a huge contract, but it was fairly big for, for Brian Hoyer. Um, Two year, four and a half million dollar contract uh, to the 38 year old. Yeah, he was he was making some money to to join you and have a chance. You, you have to have him be able to show up and do more than about 50% pass completions as he went 17 of 32, only 129 yards. So he's not even like throwing it deep, uh, two interceptions and the longest pass play of the day was 15 yards. That is pathetic. Um, not only did all of that happen, but he played all the way into the fourth quarter. And at that point, like the Raiders did end up getting down in the red zone. Carlson kicked a field goal and they were down 21 to six. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say too many negative things about the Raiders. 
Heck, my Packers lost to them like they keep losing to pretty much everyone in the NFL. But the Chicago Bears are finding a way to potentially turn their season around. They beat the Commanders a couple weeks ago. They played the Vikings hard. And now we have an unknown player like Tyson Badgent coming in and out playing you and getting his first NFL win when no one even knew. Like, Derek, Tyson Badgett went to Shepard. Do you even know where that is? Like, no, I, uh, I, I, I have met a shepherd. Um, had a bunch of sheep. I assume that he was playing versus other sheep. I, I don't know. I hope not because that's not a great path to the NFL. But uh, I will say it's it's somewhat funny. They are called the Shepherd Rams. Um, but <laughs> yeah, like they don't even like have their own football Wikipedia page. They just have some stats. Uh, they are in D2 of the NCAA and played against teams like Slippery Rock and the Colorado School of Mines. I didn't even know. I, I need to dive into this now because I'm like, I don't even know what any of this means. But... Brian Hoyer, you should not be losing to an undrafted rookie from a D2 school who outplays you in his first career game. Don't throw two picks. Throw the ball more than 15 yards. And if you can't do that, don't sign a two-year deal. So Brian Hoyer is my negative goat of the week. Sorry if I was a bit spicy. No, I'm going to I'm going to jump on the spicy train with you because we are in agreement. So Brian Hoyer um, has been around the NFL for quite a few years. Brian Hoyer is a really good uh, Chad Henney quarterback. And what I mean by that is Chad Henney for the Chiefs um, was a guy that if Patrick Mahomes got hurt, he could finish a game. You didn't want Chad Henney to start a game. Uh, and if your starter was going to be out for an extended period of time, he wasn't going to be your starter for an extended period of time. Ian Hoyer prepares each and every week to finish out games. He is not the starter in the NFL anymore. He's not that type of guy to be able to take it from quarter one to quarter four to finish out a game. Aiden O'Connell should have been the quarterback. For the Rams, he had a really good preseason. And I know it's no longer the preseason. This is real games, uh, all that kind of stuff. But you also have to show the players on your team that you are trying to do the very best that you can to win the game. And I don't think that Brian Hoyer is has the ability anymore for physically able to have an entire football game. He's smart and he knows the offense, but at the same time, I don't think that he, uh, I don't think he can make the throws in the offense anymore in, in a Josh McDaniels offense. So he's good at finishing a game, can game manage all that kind of stuff, but the Raiders don't need a game manager. They need someone 
to go out there and win the game. And that's not, not Brian Hoyer. So jumping on the uh, on that with you, we're in agreement. Nice. Well, uh, Derek, while we're talking about things that are not going well in the AFC West, uh, do you want to go ahead and sell in the NFC or in the NFL stock watch? It's not an NFC stock watch. We're talking about the AFC West. So. Yeah, so I am selling the Brandon Staley coaching staff and the culture of the L.A. Chargers. So um, I think that there is something in that building that the Chargers do not know how to win outside of the regular season. So let's go back to... 2006, uh, and I know that's that's quite a ways back there, but it is the most mind-boggling thing that I, I have seen in a very long time. So 2006, Marty, Marty Schottenheimer was the coach. He was a good coach, had been in the NFL for a very long time. The At the time, San Diego Chargers went 14-2. and two. This was a 16-game season. Uh, they lost in the divisional playoffs. Uh, do you know what happened to Marty Schottenheimer after he went 14-2 and two that season, Caleb? I want to say that he was fired that season. He was fired. They went 14-2. and two. They lost two games all season long. But because they lost in the divisional playoffs, he got fired. Uh, Norv Turner takes over. The next year, he goes 11-5. and five. Not that bad. Uh, but loses into the AFC Championship game. They go 8-8 eight and eight the next year, and in t- 2009, they go 13-3. These are double-digit win seasons. Uh, they lose in the divisional round, uh, and then after that, they go 9-7, and 8-8, and 7-9, so 10-11-12. End of 2012, North Turner gets fired. Something, you know, he was winning, and all of a sudden, he's not winning anymore. They turned on Mike McCoy, nine and seven, nine and seven, four and twelve, five and eleven. Mike McCoy, Mike McCoy gets fired. That's 2016. Uh, then Anthony Lynn, who a lot of people recognize now, uh, gets brought in. First year, he goes nine and seven. Great, we're getting back on the right track. Uh, 2018, 12 and four. Lost in the divisional round of the playoffs. Year after that, 5-11, and 11, a lot of injuries on that team. They just kind of uh, <laughs> tossed uh, tossed that, that year aside because, like, everyone got hurt. A lot of people get hurt in L- the L.A. Chargers. Don't know why. 2020, 7-9, Anthony Lee gets fired. That year, they bring in Justin Herbert. They bring in Brandon Staley for uh, the 2021 through now season he's gone nine and eight last year was 10 and seven and lost in the wild card to the jaguars so out of the last 16 years they have had a decent amount of double digit win seasons but they can't get past the afc championship game um but they also can't get the past the divisional round um, once they get to the playoffs, they just fall apart. There is something that this is w- four 
five different uh, coaching staffs that uh, have been through since 2006, and they haven't been able to put it together. They have one of the best staffs, one of the best uh, rosters on paper, like great quarterback, great running back, great receivers, two of the best defensive ends that you could ever have, great safeties, just name after name after name, and yet they can't seem to win. So if you go back far enough and you're looking at it, you can't blame it on coaching. It has to be something else because sooner or later, things are going to even out and you're going to to, to have a spike. Oh, we did it. We got to, we, you know, we got to a, a 12 and four season. Great. You know, everything goes into that one year, but yet they still don't, they didn't make a run. They didn't have that great spike. They just, they won a lot of regular season games and losing the playoffs. So if you, I mean, it's, it's a mathematics thing where if you look at a lot of data points, you're going to see where the patterns are. And for me, the patterns are the culture of the Chargers. San Diego, Los Angeles, whatever you want to call it, they have never been the team. They're always going to be the the stepsister. They're never going to be Cinderella. And I don't think that's a coaching issue. Everyone's blaming Brandon Staley, but I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a coaching issue. I think it's a culture issue. So I'm selling the Chargers. Man, Derek letting it burn there. Um, and I I don't know that I blame you. It's it's a mess over there. Uh, I feel for them lately because especially after they moved to L.A., like they played in that soccer stadium for a while, and so they didn't have a ton of people able to be there for those games. And now even in SoFi, they're the lesser of the two teams that are there because the Rams at least went and won a Super Bowl. And I feel like the Chargers never have fans of their own, except for uh, that one super fan that we've now gotten introduced to <laughs> in the few week, last few weeks. Uh, I can't remember her name, Marianne or something like that. It is Mar- Marianne Doe. Okay. So outside of her, no one else goes and cheers for the Chargers. And it's it's sad because, you know, you want to be able to think if the Chargers did have a good season out of nowhere, they would actually have like a home field advantage. But it just seems like the Chargers are a team without a location and without a home. And I, I think that that messes with your ability to put a good culture together, but it's messy. So tell me who, tell me who you're going to sell uh, this week. Cause I am, I am dying to, to see what this is. So Derek, I was looking at some of the stats over the last couple of years, trying to double check a few things and look at how things have shifted and changed over the last few years and uh when i look at a lot of the nfl seasons i especially recently have noticed uh teams like firing their coaches during the middle of the season 
uh, it happening early and often. I think of, you know, a couple years ago, and this may not have been fully football related, but John Gruden was fired in the middle of the year. Um, Nathaniel Hackett, you know him, he was fired in the middle of the season last year. Um, like it keeps happening where some of these top tier are not even like just coaches are getting fired on a regular basis mid season. And it's like, Oh, um, like even back during the, the COVID season, uh, Dan Quinn got fired after an Owen five start. So like, uh, Bill O'Brien got fired after an Owen four start. So I'm kind of to this point where I'm like, I'm used to seeing these things happen earlier and earlier in the season. And yet for me, I'm still somewhat selling the fact that we are having a delayed hot seat right now. I think that it is one of those things where something is going to give and we don't know exactly what it is or who it's going to be yet, but someone is going to be getting fired and I don't know how quickly it will happen. I don't know which coach it's going to be. I would love to see, you know, the Raiders stumble for a while and then say, Oh, we got to move on from Josh McDaniels. Cause I do think the Raiders are one of the worst teams in football, but I, at the same time right now, is he going to get a pass because they don't have a quarterback? I don't know. Um, do you want to do that after you've had to move on from coaches over the last several years and your best coach was probably Rich Bisaccia? I don't know. Uh, are the Titans going to give someone a chance because Vrabel's going to lose his job in the middle of them trying to trade everyone off of the team? I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. I just feel like something is going to give someone is going to lose their job and it's going to get messy. Uh, it could be Dennis Allen. I had mentioned him before, the coach of the Saints. Uh, the Packers, who somehow only scored six points in the first half of their last four games combined. The sum of that has to land on LaFleur. It's... Someone's going to stop with their patience. I just don't know when. But I feel like in general, we're almost to the end of October and no one has been fired. So it has been delayed. I do think that it's not going to get delayed until we get all the way through November. I don't think we're getting to December without someone getting fired. So yes, it's delayed, but I'm expecting something to happen and something to change soon because I keep feeling, not that I want people to lose their jobs, but I'm antsy. I feel like something has got to change here soon. I'm going to agree. I, 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 I hate to, to keep agreeing with you, but you make some really good points. Um, normally, we would have seen a, a coach get fired by now. Um, and, I mean, there's, there's, there's guys out there that you could say, hey, you know, this is, this is not going well. We need to... You know Frank Reich in uh, in Carolina. Not saying that he's not a good person or anything like that, but you know they're not going in the right direction. Um, 
But there's also, like, I mean, Matt Eberflew, he's won two games, and they look... Uh, competent all of a sudden. They look like, competent. Yeah, that's a good good point. Like, they look competent. And, I mean, he's usually the guy that's on the hot seat that is, like, like the last two years, it seems like. Um, like, you're just not going to... Um, and, you know, we've got a new contender that... Uh, his boss is on this podcast. Like, are we going to say goodbye to the Green Bay head coach? Um, does it something need to change because we're no longer in love? I mean, I don't know if it is the result of having the team be too young, but it's either that LaFleur is not that good of a coach or that and Aaron Rodgers masked things up the last few years he was there. But something isn't going right, and I don't know how to put it, and I feel like uh, it it's coming back more and more on coaching. And that's that's a mess. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm agreeing with you. Uh, I think we have less than two weeks before we see a change... Uh, at least a coordinator. It's going to happen. And I yeah. just am saying when it does, let's not act surprised. Um, let me go with what I'm buying here. Go ahead. Uh, just to, to stay a little bit in the division with where I was just at. I'm going to go ahead and say that the Minnesota Vikings are starting to put some things back together. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I think it was uh, not only you, Derek, I know you called it out, but other people were calling it out as well. Hey, they need to try to trade Kirk Cousins. Justin Jefferson's hurt. The season is over. We might as well just ignore the Vikings pretty much for the rest of the year. Uh, since that time, they followed it up with back-to-back wins, albeit close ones, over the Bears and the 49ers. Now, they did... Their other win this year is over the Panthers. And I will say that they have one score losses on their record to the Buccaneers, the Eagles, the Chargers, which that one doesn't look any better by the day, and the Chiefs. But they're coming back. Uh, Jordan Addison looked really good on Monday Night Football in a game that I thought that the 49ers were going to potentially throttle the Vikings. Um, they do have a couple coming up on the road, but I don't look at their schedule and see anything that I think is overly intimidating for them, uh, at Packers, at Falcons, home against the Saints, at the Broncos, no offense, Derek, uh, hosting the Bears on Monday night football, and then they get their bye, and then after that, they come out and play the Raiders, like, after that, they do have at Bengals versus the Lions versus the Packers and at the Lions, which is a pretty tough final four. But even though they're three and four, they, they've got this soft middle of the season. And if they can find a way to start stringing together these wins, even without Justin Jefferson, because Brian Flores is calling some amazing defense and Kevin O'Connell is getting enough out of Kirk Cousins. So I think the Vikings are slowly getting things back together. And I will say, I think that they are 
a playoff threat at this point. Um, I'm, I'm not counting them out, even though in reality, I'm, I guess right now they they're just one spot out. They are right behind the Bucks, who had their buy uh, for the seven spot. Any thoughts on that, Derek? Yeah, I uh, I think you're wrong, and I think that you're wasting your money on buying this. So uh, the quote unquote win that the Vikings had over the 49ers, and this is not because of my bandwagon fandom. Uh, they got very lucky that Jimmy Ward did not uh, yank, was not able to yank the ball away from Jordan Addison for a second time in the game. If they don't have that touchdown at the right before halftime, things are completely different in Monday Night Football. Uh, they don't win the game if you know everything else being equal because there wasn't enough time to score that touchdown. Uh, there might have been a field goal, but uh, then that would have been uh, a, you know, a much closer game in the grand scheme of things. So the takeaway, that's 15. Yeah, it would have been, they could have won 18 to 17 if they would have been able to get down to kick a field goal. Um, and yeah, the defense looked looked pretty good and, and stopped Brock Purdy. Um, good job to them. But they are such a fluky team. They're not, they're not putting anything together. They are just getting lucky. They are in those one-score games enough, and, and I guess that's putting things together, if you want to call it that. They've been in one-score games the last two or three seasons. This year, they happen to lose them. Last year, they happen to win them. Um, this team lives and dies by the one-score game, and pretty soon you're not going to be able to live on those anymore. I don't think that the Lions, the Vikings are putting anything together. Lions are going to get their act together uh, and they're going to win the North. The, uh, the NFC is down. The AFC is, is clearly the better division or the better conference right now. Um, you know, they're an outside threat to the, to the playoffs. I think the Vikings are, not going to I, th- I don't think they're not they're not going to make it there we shall see we shall see we will agree to disagree and let's be honest it's kind of refreshing uh because we've agreed way too dang much on this yeah no i just i just had to, to take the other side of it i uh uh so uh my buy what i am buying this week is uh kelsey bowl two electric boogaloo so last year we had the Chiefs and the Eagles uh, in the Super Bowl and Travis Kelsey versus Jason Kelsey. Uh, it was a great game. It was it came down to the final couple of plays. And if you look up right now, guess what? The Chiefs are probably the best team in the AFC, the most consistent. You know, the Dolphins may be better in the long run, but uh, the Chiefs are the more consistent, which is going to is how you're going to win the playoffs. Patrick Mahomes is waking up. Um, and the the Eagles don't have much competition anymore. The, uh, the 49ers have injuries. They, uh, they've taken a couple of steps back. The Eagles are just uh, marching forward. They're uh, shoving their way to the top of the NFC. And uh, I think we're, we're in a 
a good pathway for seeing a Chiefs Eagle rematch in the Super Bowl. Uh, and I would love to see it. I love the Kelseys. I think that they are really fun to watch, really fun to listen to. And, uh, you know, so I think it would be, there would be a lot of great storylines to be had. And, uh, you know, if the Super Bowl is the most watched television program uh, of the year, just think of what could happen if you get the Swifties involved. It would be amazing. It definitely would be amazing. Uh, I I loved the game last year. It was a wonderful Super Bowl. If you can tell me that we can have another wonderful Super Bowl with both of them there again, I, I'll sign up for that. I'm not complaining. So definitely circle it. Kelsey Bowl 2 happening in February. Uh, I'm okay with this. I I support what you're selling or what you're buying here. You're not selling it. Nope, I'm buying it. Uh, do we want to buy something else? Maybe uh, coming up on Thursday? Yeah, you know, I've got that uh, two-day shipping here. So let's go ahead and talk <laughs> about that uh, Thursday night football preview between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as they will travel to face the Buffalo Bills. Uh, the Bucks, of course, are now 3-3 three and three, coming off of the rough loss against the uh Falcons at home this past week, and they are playing the Buffalo Bills at Highmark Stadium. The Bills are four and three, and the Bills are an eight and a half point favorite with an over under of 42 and a half. And the Bucks do lead the all time series eight to four. Uh, Derek, what is your matchup to watch this week? Yeah, so I want to, to see my old friend, the guy that I have loved. For many years, and uh, former Bronco, Von Miller, um, he brought us a world championship in uh, a Super Bowl 50, and I will always love him, uh, versus uh, Tristan Wirth, the uh, tackle for the Buccaneers. So Von Miller is going to pick his downs. He's not an every down kind of rusher anymore, but uh, when he is out there, he is going to definitely try to wreck the game. Uh, Worth is one of the better tackles that this uh, this team has and probably one of the better tackles in the NFC South. Um, you're going to have to keep Baker Mayfield upright to win this game. The Buffalo Bills have not looked great the last couple of weeks. They've dropped some games that they shouldn't have dropped um, and not really played all the way through the fourth quarter. In order to, to get right... Uh, I'm gonna call this a get-right game for the for the Bills. The uh, you're gonna have to keep uh, pressure on Baker Mayfield because he's wiry. He's a gunslinger. He's gonna get the ball down the field. He might throw an interception, but he might throw five touchdowns. Um, and so you're gonna have to put pressure on him. And uh, I think this is the, is the matchup that I want to see. You know, I'm always going to go for the offensive linemen. I'm always going to go with the defensive guys um, because I think that's where real football is played. I'm not stunned. We all know that Derek likes the linemen. I'm not sitting here and saying I dislike linemen. I'm just going with a different position because if we both picked linemen, we would become uh, Brody Sports Talk All Linemen Edition. 
And uh, <laughs> while it probably would be a good podcast, I don't know that it's the one. It's not Brody Sports Talk. So uh, I'm going with James Cook. I can't believe I put James White in the notes. I think I was trying to think of the linebacker and the running back at the same time. It's James Cook, and he's going up against Devin White and Levante David on the inside linebackers for the Bucks. Now, that is, of course, assuming that the blocking goes well up front and rookie Sirens, oh, Osiris Torrance, I think, yeah. uh, is able to get his hands and block Vitavea in the middle of the field, which is easier said than done. But instead of picking that lineman, I, I want to see the Bills take some time, run the ball, control the clock, and try to not make everything Josh Allen being Superman. Because when you expect Josh Allen to be Superman, he, he's not. He does not have an S on his chest. He wears the number 17 on his chest. And so he needs his people around him to be strong and be solid. I like what James Cook is doing this year. He has 88 carries for 419 yards. You know, they also have been bringing in others to, to get some of that ground game going. But I think James Cook is the one who's more electric, who's going to be able to typically get them in second and third and shorter so that they have those positive first downs. And I'll be honest. I think this could be a low scoring game. The 42 and a half is already indicating that because the Bucks play good defense. The Bills have been playing good defense, uh, except for allowing a season high to 20 of uh, 29 to the Patriots last week, whatever that was about. Um, it is back home. It will be interesting to see what happens for Buffalo, but I think that that if James Cook is getting to the linebackers, Devin White and Levante David are two tough people to escape from. That is for sure. Uh, any thoughts on that one, Derek? Man, can't you just give me something to disagree with? Like, you keep doing, you're so good at this, at finding a really good point and then giving me stuff to back it up. I'm glad you changed the James Cook. I thought there was a James White that I didn't know about. Uh, and I was like, I don't see that on the roster. Is it is a guy getting called up from the practice squad or something? But you're 100% uh, right on that. Uh, I think the Bills' biggest issue for the last little bit of time is that they have put everything on Josh Allen. Um, and he's not that dude. Um, he is three quarters of that dude. He is absolutely amazing, has a huge arm, can make plays, can run all over the field, but he can't throw the ball and catch the ball uh, <laughs> to himself. He can't run on every down because he's going to get hurt. They're going to trigger on him. Even Patrick Mahomes has receivers that he throws to. He makes a lot of really great plays and, you know, he throws the ball a lot, but he still has really good receivers and he has a, a number one guy that they just passed. Like they're the fifth best, I think third or fifth. I don't remember what it was. Best uh, tight end quarterback duo in the history of the NFL. 
Um, so I understand that Josh Allen has Stefan Diggs, but a lot of those dig plays are way down the field. And those are, are 50, 50 balls. A lot of times you're going to have to control the ball, control the clock, which is exactly what you do with a run game. So Caleb, you're right. And you made a really good point. I mean, let, let's face it. This is just me doubling down a little bit on my spotlight point in <laughs> the matchup section. But Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs cannot do everything. Uh, and I think James Cook is the next man up. And, you know what? Uh, we've, uh, we've had such a good time. You've made such good points. You deserve a high five. So yes. uh, I want to give you the high five, virtual high five. And, you know, because of it, you're going to get a handshake as well. Last week, you won the uh, the Brody bets. You went uh, three and two, um, as I went two and three. Uh, a really good, uh, really good. So what's so funny is I won my teams. You lost your teams. You won all the other ones, and I lost all the other ones. So uh, just to recap, last week I had... Oklahoma State plus three and a half at West Virginia. Oklahoma State won um, outright, so easy win. Uh, we had a straight up heads up play with the uh, Packers and the Broncos. Honestly, thought for a moment that I was going to win this because of the extra point, the one point that I would have. Uh, <laughs> and. Uh, because it would have been, if the Packers would have kicked a field goal, it would have been 20 and uh, 2019, and I would have had a plus one. So uh, it would have, yeah, it would have been, but the Broncos pulled through, they won. So the, the matchups of the Brodies, uh, I came out on top. Uh, I lost my favorite, which was the 49ers and the Vikings. Uh, I had uh, San Francisco minus seven. 49ers lost. Uh, I had my underdog, Detroit, at Baltimore. I thought this was easy money. Um, I was like, okay, Detroit's probably going to win that game. Uh, they lost 38-6. to And my wild card, uh, the Duke Blue Devils, plus 14 at Florida State. I would have won that if it wasn't for uh, a garbage time touchdown by Florida State. I had the win and uh, I had the cover, and Florida State uh, puts in another touchdown when it was, uh, so it was 38-20. to 20. Uh, I lost by four on that. Uh, if you like the Duke Blue Levels, go ahead and, and hang on there because uh, you might hear about them again here in a minute. Uh, on Caleb's side, uh, Nebraska did beat North, Northwestern, but not by 11, so uh, he did not win his Nebraska pick. Uh, still a really great, hey, I'm happy that your Huskers w- uh, won. Uh, he didn't win his cheese heads because the Broncos won, but he did win the Chiefs uh, minus five and a half uh, versus the Chargers. Easy win on that one, 14 points. Jaguars plus one at the Saints. Uh, Jaguars 31, Saints 24. And his wild card, someone has to go with them. Michigan minus 24. And Michigan State uh, wins by 49 points. So the virtual high five goes to Caleb. Really great job. Uh, any of those games 
that you felt really good about or that you uh, are very sad about? So I definitely felt like the Michigan spread was really good. I will say that I'm really torn on how much we're really supposed to pick them the rest of the year after this like staffer filming signs accusation. Uh, We kept being like, man, Michigan just keeps really beating the spread. They keep figuring it out. I think someone listened to us and went, you know what? We got to turn this staffer in. Brody Sports Talk is on to us. So uh, I think that's exactly what happened there. Yeah, um, you'll notice in our picks here in a minute exactly how much Michigan is in the uh, is in our picks. So, I was that that's why I didn't see the game. I was like, (laughs) what am I? uh, I wasn't gonna pick them because of the cheating scandal, so I didn't even look at them. But that's yeah, that's why they're not being chosen this week. Uh, Yeah. So that being said, didn't uh, didn't embarrass myself in the middle of a podcast or anything. No, of course not. Uh, so I'm going to start off this week with my Oklahoma State Cowboys uh, minus seven and a half uh, versus Cincinnati. Cincinnati is coming to Boone Pickens Stadium over and under is 54. Um, I'm just going to go straight up. I think the Pokes are going to win. You know, they're going to win big. Cincinnati is 0-4 in the Big 12. They're going to be a, a gritty team, and they're going to try their very best. But I think that uh, Mike Gundy has finally figured something out, finally figured out a quarterback. And uh, so I have my pokes minus 7.5. Let's talk about your your Huskers. Tell me what's going on there, Caleb. Well, before I jump into that, did I hear that it is America's brightest homecoming this weekend? It really is. All right. So I'm hopeful that there is a wonderful homecoming at Oklahoma State and they go out there and uh, beat the Bearcats and cover that spread for, for my buddy Derek this week. Do you know um, who is a, a super famous uh, football player from Cincinnati? Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey. Yeah. So he's up in Kansas City. He could just, I mean, it's not that far of a drive to down to, uh, to Boone Pickens. He could bring his girlfriend. I don't know who he's dating right now, but uh, he could bring his girlfriend along. And, you know, I'm sure they're going to suite together up there. I I think that, you know, the drive from Kansas City to Stillwater is rather swift. So I think that it will be fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, my Nebraska Cornhuskers are hosting the Purdue Boilermakers this week. Uh, Nebraska is at a four and three record. It feels good. I'm hoping, like I said, I want them to be able to go and get that bowl win this year because, uh, or just getting to a bowl game. We have not gone since 2016. It has been too long. So I know that my buddy Ryan, if he is listening to this, he's a Purdue alum. I'm sorry. I've got to take Nebraska to cover the two and a half. I think that uh, I don't want it to be merely a field goal game, but I need Nebraska to go out, take care of business and get this win. They've won their last two games against the Illinois teams, 20 to seven and 17 to nine. So I feel like they're going to find a way to be able to go beat the Boilermakers by at least a field goal or more. Um, Let's go big red. Let's do this. That's a really good, uh, really good pick. 
I like uh, I like the Huskers in that game. They're putting some stuff together. Uh, talk about your Packers. What's going on with them? Uh, so the Packers are not good, and especially <laughs> bad in the first half. And you know, I think I've picked them almost every time in their uh, their losing streak that they're on right now. I'm going to stop doing that. Uh, I have them even against the Vikings with an over under 43. I'm just going to take the Vikings. Um, if I somehow reverse jinx the Vikings and the Packers win, I will be happy anyway. But apparently I just need to be picking against the Packers every week. And we'll see how that goes. But I can't pick for them to do well when they are uh, just only showing up for part of the game. Good point. Uh, so go, uh, go Packers. I go guess. Packers. I mean, yeah. Yeah. You Just, can, uh, you can play. Keep yeah. going. Let's uh, I guess get so. a good draft pick or something. I don't know. So uh, going over to teams that actually know how to win. <laughs> Clearly. Um, I have the uh, Broncos country. Uh, they're, the Chiefs are coming to town. And the over under for this game is 46. Chiefs are favored by eight points. Um, I don't think that that's uh, anywhere close to what the final score would be. And I'm certainly not going to uh, bet the Chiefs in this one. So I'll take the over. I'll take over 46, as I think the Chiefs are probably going to put, you know, 37 or more on us. And I think we can probably put together nine or ten points. So uh, I have the over in this game of 46. Uh, So a team that could probably... Um, you know, we're, we're, we're going to see a lot of good football being played. I'm going to go with my favorite, um, and future big 12 school, Utah is playing Oregon this week. Uh, Oregon is a six and a half point favorite, uh, on this one. And so I'm taking the Oregon ducks quack, quack. Um, we will see what uniform combination they have. Um, but Oregon minus six and a half at Utah, Utah just came, um, from beating USC and Caleb Williams, uh, and they're looking to take down another powerhouse uh, that's head to the Big Ten next year. What about your favorite? Uh, my favorite, I'm going to the NFL. There is a bit of a fire sale going on, it feels like. Uh, Kevin Byard got traded from the Titans to the Eagles. He's one of the best safeties in football. I'm going to take the Falcons minus two. Uh, I've I've been buying in on Arthur Smith. I took their over on wins before the season. They're four and three, first place in the NFC South. And I just, I've got to pick a four and three Falcons team to go find a way to beat a team on the road that is two and four. So give me the Falcons to to go get this dub. And uh, Arthur Smith and the stash will be happy, happy. And hopefully Desmond Ritter stops turning the ball over so much in the red zone. I yeah, I really want the Falcons to be good. Like they are right there on that that teetering level of a cliff of like, man, just something happens and they fall off that cliff of of awesome. They they should be much better than their record. Um, I think they should they should have uh, maybe one loss, maybe two losses. Um, but I really do. I mean, their kicker. 
doing some amazing things and, and winning those own games. I really do hope the Falcons uh, look better this week. Uh, so, you know, we took favorites. Let's talk about underdogs. I'm going back to the well, uh, and that's the Duke Blue Devils um, for my underdog. They're at Louisville, and uh, I'm, they, have, they are uh, getting four and a half points. So I'm taking Duke plus four and a half at Louisville. As uh, I think it's going to be a close game, but I think that uh, they'll keep they'll, they'll cover the number. Uh, I definitely want to hear about your reckoning with your underdog, Caleb. What? Uh, where are you going? Uh, so I'm going with a team that just I feel like has a lot of grit and finds ways to get things done, and I'm going with BYU as I think that the Cougars are going to show up in Austin and challenge the Texas Longhorns. Uh, They just beat Texas Tech 27-14, and with this one, they are, it's BYU plus 17.5. So I don't think that they necessarily need to go in and try to beat Texas. That is not my goal here for them. I just want them to, let's face it, do what they do. Let's get in there, let's run the ball, let's have Keaton Slovis get some some good passes off, and let's run that time, keep Texas away from having the ball, and make Steve Sarkeesian pull his hair out a little bit. So uh, BYU plus the 17 and a half to, to give a competitive matchup to those Texas Longhorns. Go Cougs. Go Cougs indeed. Um, did you hear the uh, the scuttlebutt this uh, this week that uh, you know if Lincoln Riley goes to uh, the NFL that uh, USC may look at a uh, at at the Texas head coach if uh, if, if there's a, a spot opening you know they like to steal Big Twelve schools or former Big Twelve schools. Do you think uh, Steve Sarkeesian knows anything about USC? Probably not. I Probably think not. Steve Sarkeesian is uh, very unfamiliar. Okay, that's what I thought as well. Uh, that's just a scuttlebutt. Uh, the, the please do not source Brody's sports talk at the uh, as as the source of that. As uh, it, it 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 just makes me laugh when uh, when like. You want to? Oh, all of a sudden you're good again. Uh, you clearly didn't do a good job the last time you were here, but you're going to change now. You went through Alabama School of Reforming Coaches. Um, yeah, I, I like rumors, and uh, I like this. Uh, you know, I don't like Texas, and so I, I want them to lose every game possible. Hire Cliff uh, Kingsbury. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, that is true. Uh, Major Applewhite, maybe, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, guys who with Texas ties that could probably do something. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury is currently the uh, trying to be the interim coach at USC uh, because Lincoln Riley is sick uh, for some under the weather or something. Uh, so just speaking of that name. Uh, so my, why, um, let's get back on track with Brody Betts as... Uh, my uh yeah i'm getting off track uh on rumors 
So uh, my wild card this week, uh, I'm going to go with the rookie bowl and the rookie QB bowl, should I say, and that's the Houston Texans, Carolina Panthers, uh, you know, two of the top five picks uh, for QB in this last draft. And uh, the over-under number is 43. Um, The NFL has been notorious for unders this year. So I'm going to take the under, as I think that D'Amico Ryan's defense is going to slow down the Panthers. And I think it's going to be, you know, a 21-7 game, something like that, with the Texans winning winning it. But uh, everyone looking, looking good. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and go with an under as well. Uh, I'm going to go to MetLife Stadium for the Battle of New York uh, slash New Jersey as the Jets and Giants take on each other. The under on this game is super low. It is 36 and a half. I don't expect Daniel Jones to likely play. So give me the Zach Wilson versus Tyrod Taylor Bowl. Could you be more excited for uh, the quarterbacks in this matchup? No, actually, we were going to talk about the running backs. Brees Hall versus Saquon Barkley. We're going to milk the clock, and we're going to get that under 36 and a half as four yards in a cloud of dust as we need more than three so we can keep getting first downs. So uh, (laughs) Jets, Giants, under 36 and a half. Yeah, it gets a good good number as I don't think the Giants can score enough points. Uh, And the Jets are going to probably win that game, but uh, not score a bunch of points. So I'm uh, I'm on that with you, and I like that pick. And uh, that's actually all we have here for this week's episode of Brody Sports Talk. Make sure you subscribe so you do not miss a single episode. You can always interact with us on X at Brody Talk. And... You can find all of where you would want to look for us in our podcasts in our link tree, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash Brody Talk. I will say, Derek, I've been seeing that we are getting a lot more attention from Spotify lately. So uh, if you're checking us out on Spotify, we appreciate that. And if you're listening anywhere else, we also appreciate that. But on behalf of my wonderful co-host, Derek, my name is Caleb Walgren, and we are signing out. Later, y'all. Bye, guys.